Father, as we come before you, we open up your word, and we just desire to know you, to love you, to become more like you. We need your help. We need your spirit. And at the same time, we confess our flesh is powerful, and it is strong, and it is at war with what your spirit is trying to do in us. We also recognize that around us are legitimate distractions. There are things that are coming up. Our text messages are going off. And there are maybe children or people or friends or needs or traumas or stuff that is just happening right around us or they're in the back of our brain. And so, Lord, we come before you and we want to clear our minds. Would you help us? We want to focus. Would you help us? We want whatever you have for us. Would you help us? Lord, I pray that you would train our minds you would build our hearts and form them to be more like Jesus and you would challenge the way we live so that we might live the life of Christ. And so we come before you in this time and we ask for huge things to do in us what we could never do for ourselves. And we ask this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amenville Church. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, if I have not met you yet, my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church. And I want to ask you, would you open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 5? So this fall, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking a break from the book of Exodus. And we're going to be doing a series through each one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Now, if you're newer to the Bible, you might be wondering what are the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Open up your Bibles for sure, but I'm going to put this scripture on the screen, Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. And here's what the Apostle Paul says about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit are realities accomplished inside of us by the Spirit of God himself. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, I really want everyone in my family, maybe if you're married, your spouse, or if you have kids, your children, or your boyfriend or girlfriend, or your brother and sister, you're like, you really want them to hear this series, because we're going to be going at these one at a time, and we really believe that this is one of the most relevant times to teach through this. Now, I can hear your questions already. Pastor Michael, uh, Exodus has been the greatest series you've ever preached in the history of your life, right? No, I'm kidding. That's sarcasm, by the way. Um, that's a joke. I, if you don't know me, some people are like, who is this guy? Um, but for real, I want to give you two, two big reasons why we're going to take a couple month hiatus from Exodus and we're going to be jumping into the fruit of the spirit. Uh, number one, everything around us is so, you fill in the blank, crazy, frustrating, confusing, concerning, divided, And election season, by the way, is coming upon us, and this is going to seek to exploit any cracks that already exist in our culture, and especially in the people of God. And the fruit of the Spirit has never been more needed by the people of God for the sakes of our bodies, our souls, our relationships, and this world than it is right now. What we have watched is that the church, by and large, has struggled to figure out what it means to be like Jesus in this season. It is incredibly difficult. 
And so what we believe is that the Spirit of God wants to birth uniquely in the church these qualities so that what our world and our families and our bodies and our souls need so desperately, we're going to go before the Holy Spirit and say, would you birth these in us in a new way? Even, even just here at Village Church, would you allow us to be a light, to be like Jesus in what it feels like is getting to be a darker and darker world with more and more division? Uh, what would Jesus do if he entered into these conversations, into these dynamics, and how would he love? What would it actually look like? So right now, some of your lives are really, really hard, but here's what I know. The Spirit of God, before this message began, after this series is done, wants to develop the fruit of the Spirit in each and every one of you who profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Here's the second reason that we are going to be doing this series. There is an unusual season that we have entered into, and it is an unprecedented season of mental health and relational crisis. Uh, it's inside the church, and it's outside of the church. And this series actually allows us to teach on and train on a number of the issues that you and many of your friends and family are dealing with on a deeply personal level. So for example, love versus hate. Joy versus depression. Peace versus anxiety. Patience versus hurry. Kindness versus rudeness, goodness versus poor character, faithfulness versus using people, gentleness versus brashness, self-control versus culture control. Do you see how absolutely relevant these topics are and how they address some of the most fundamental problems that not just the world, but the church is facing? And so my dream, my prayer is that whatever sphere of influence, those of us who call Jesus their savior and are part of this community, that we would bring to the table what this world so desperately needs, that we would bring the spirit of Jesus Christ, the fruit of the spirit, and that we would be able to be a light and not a not darkness in this season. Christians are getting a bad rap. And so Village Church, our goal is to come before the Lord and say, here's my mind. Here's my heart. Here's my life. I want to be more like Jesus. Would you help me do this? Now open up your Bibles, Galatians chapter five. We're going to be in verses 13 to 26 this morning. Today will be an introduction. Uh, the text will not be on the screen. So please open up your paper Bibles or your phones and bring this up. As you're turning there, I want to just take a minute and I want to remind you of what the Holy Spirit's job is. Now, the Holy Spirit does a whole bunch of things, but the Holy Spirit has one overarching responsibility uh, in you, around you, in the world, and here it is. It is to point people to Jesus, and it is to make you look more like Jesus. In short, his responsibility, his primary goal is to bring glory to Jesus. Uh, John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, I want to read this to you. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's just let them know that he is going to be leaving them. They're having sort of a crisis. Uh, what are we going to do without you? We can't live without you. And so Jesus says that he's going to send the helper, also called the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will speak, he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Listen to verse 14, John 16, 14. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
the world has never needed the church to look more like Jesus than right now. And looking like Jesus never happens on accident. So again, I'm going to say this one last time before we get to Galatians 5. Phil's church, I'm just asking you, would you take this season and would you ask God to birth the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you uniquely and give you the courage to be like Jesus and your relational spheres of influence. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. We're going to read all the way through verse 26. Christians, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, in case you're concerned, are evident. Here's what they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to make two observations, and here's the first one from this text. I want you to notice what the Spirit wants for you. Look at verse 13. He says this, for you were called to, everybody say it together, freedom, brothers. Everything God does for you is to set you free. Every rule is for your freedom. Every law is for your freedom. Every restriction is for your freedom. There is nothing that God does that is geared at enslaving you anymore. Everything that God does for you is for your freedom. Everything. Always. That God's desire for you is true spiritual freedom. And he has not just saved you from hell, but he's actually saved you for something here. Now, when you go back at chapter 5, verse 1, and look how the whole chapter starts off. He says, for, what's the word, everybody? Freedom, 
Christ has set us free. He didn't just save you to, to free you from hell. He saved you for freedom now so that you could live in a free way that has measurable impact in your life. And then he, he goes even further. And he says, stand firm, therefore, and do, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christian, hear me. Jesus broke the shackles of your sin and your slavery. They're broken. You are able, by the way, to take off the chains, walk out of that prison, and be a free man, woman, or student. You have everything you need. There is no guard that will stop you because Jesus is your advocate. The spirit is with you. And some of you, you have, been, you have been freed, but you have never walked out of the prison. Some of you, you walked out of the prison. You were set free. And then you went right back in. You put those chains on you. But here's the irony of that. You couldn't lock it because it's already been broken. All you have to do is take the shackles off and walk back out. You are freed from sin. Now let's define freedom. Here's what it doesn't mean. We got to just clarify our terms because some of us are going to take this in weird ways. It does not mean being able to do whatever I want. That is the Western American version of freedom. I am my own law unto myself. I can do what I want. Nobody tells me what to do. I am free. I can go where I want, do what I want, think what I want, feel what I want. That is actually not technically what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Here's what he is saying. True freedom is this, is that you are unshackled from the slavery and the tyranny of your sin so that you might love and serve. Look what happens in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What does the flesh want to do? It wants to abuse your freedom. Here's what he says. But through love, serve one another. Jesus has set you free from the shackles and the tyranny of sin so that you can walk out of that prison and you can love and you can serve. This is where true freedom is really found. And so some of you, you have just walked right back into the prison. I'm like, please don't go back. Now, I want to just take a moment. I'm going to apply this to us. COVID, corona, quarantine, all of this has been uh, an actual blessing in many, many ways. For many of you, it's been a time, a gift to slow down, reorient yourselves, get your bearings, rethink life. Uh, it's allowed you to see like what relationships are really made of. Um, but it's also accelerated two things that have crippled the church. It has accelerated, first and foremost, fear. Um, the Bible says that love casts out fear. Well, the inverse is also true. Fear casts out love. Never have mature and immature believers been so afraid. And in the fear, we are obsessed with ourselves and our ability to be truly free to love and to serve is diminished. Fear kills love. Fear kills service. And so there's a, there's a whole bunch of people who claim the name of Christ, but we are petrified and we have now become unable to make an impact. The, the second thing that um, COVID has permitted, fostered, grown in the church, which is crippling it, is the spirit of consumerism. Consumerism is about me first. I want, I want it this way. This is the way you're supposed to do things. I want it my way. And consumerism is crippling the church. It's always, always threatened the church, but it has come alive across America in ways that we have never quite seen before. 
And fear and consumerism is just this double-edged sword that is having a powerful impact on us. And it is holding us back from actually being truly free to love and to serve. Now, if I may be so bold, I believe we're about to embark on a third threat. I don't know that we're quite there yet, but it's really close and it's nipping at the heels. It's threatening our church right now. And it simply is this. It's the threat of political identity before Jesus' identity. Uh, I've been amazed at how well Village Church has handled within our own diversity in our congregation um, these issues. But the next couple months are going to test and try the church like never before. And so when we talk about fear and consumerism and political identity that trumps Jesus' identity, this is a dangerous time for the church and never have we needed to look inward and go before God and say, birth in me something different than what has been birthed in me in this season. For some of you, you are watching fear and consumerism and political identity become so much a regular part of your lives. And so our prayer is that Jesus would release you from your fear, release you from your consumerism, and point you to have your first and foremost primary identity in Jesus Christ before anything else. Here's the second thing I want you to notice in this passage. I want you to notice the three ways that we engage with the Holy Spirit. So look at verse 16 with me. The Apostle Paul says, walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, he says, be led by the Spirit. In verse 25, he says, live by the Spirit. So look at verse 25 with me. I want to read to you um, the first part of this verse. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I want you to just process this for a moment. There is a rhythm. There is a pace. There's a gait. There is a way that the Spirit moves. And it's actually not very mystical. It's very quantifiable, understandable, It's very attainable. Uh, There's a way that he does things, and there's a way that he doesn't do things. And so one of the things that Paul says is, listen, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, this is the way the Spirit moves. This is the direction the Spirit moves you. If you ever want to know what the will of God in a circumstance is, it's probably going to be connected to the fruit of the Spirit in some way, shape, or form. This is the way the Spirit walks. It's the way he moves. And he says, keep in step with the Spirit. Now, there there are two ways of keeping in step with the Spirit. There is a doing way and a being way. And when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to have to get very familiar with behavior modification. Now, that is a bad word in churches, and I understand that. But sometimes you just have to grit your teeth and do the right thing, even though nothing inside of you wants to do the right thing. Can I get an amen from anybody here right now, right? Like, there are a lot of things I don't want to do. And the spirit I know is like, no, you need to be loving. You need to be patient. You need to be gentle. And I'm like, I don't want to, but I'm going to muster up this thing that God has given me, which is a redeemed will with self-control. And I got to figure out in those moments how to do that. Before the fruit of the spirit become realities in you, we have to actually make the decisions to do them, even though they're not real in us. This is the way of doing. This is behavior modification. Now, the second way is is a much more permanent, beautiful way, and this is the way of being. This is as you, over time, walk in the Spirit, stay in step with the Spirit, live in the Spirit, what happens is that the Spirit begins to transform your inner person, and I want you to just hear this. It goes from a choice to an impulse. And I'm telling you, when you start to watch any one of the fruit of the Spirit, become an impulse rather than a willful decision, 
This is a beautiful thing to see, and it's a reminder to you that the Holy Spirit is at work inside of you. So how do I know? I don't know if I'm like living and walking and, and, and I'm, I'm in step with the Spirit. Go back to the fruit of the Spirit and ask yourself, are these things growing in me? If so, I am in step with the Spirit. I'm going to close with two so what's. Here's the first one. Know with clarity when you are not in the Spirit. You have to know with clarity when you are not in the Spirit. So in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about two ways of life. There's the way of the Spirit, and there's the way of the flesh. And these two ways are at war with each other. And what Paul does is actually gives you symptoms. When you see these things, you can know whether or not you're in the flesh or whether you're not, or not you're in the spirit. The way of the flesh, it takes. The way of the spirit, it serves. The way of the flesh is death. Emotional, relational, psychological, spirit, spiritual. But the way of the spirit is life. Relational, emotional, psychological, spiritual. Life, death, giving, taking. I mean, this is, these things are at odds with each other fundamentally. So how do I recognize when I'm out of step? I'm going to just give you three simple tools. And all you have to do, by the way, is go back to the uh, Galatians chapter 5, and you'll be able to see and be reminded of these tools. How do I know if I'm out of step? Recognize the relational symptoms. Look at verse 15 with me. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by each other. So if that's happening, are you in the flesh or in the spirit? And this is where you all say, in the flesh. Or verse 19, look at this. Or I'm sorry, verse 20. Enmity, these are all relational uh, uh, dynamics. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Verse 26, let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. These are the symptoms and when you start seeing these things inside of you, here's what you need to know. I am out of step with the Spirit. And the moment you have these indicators, these clues, these cues, you stop and you say, this is a path of death and not life. This is a path where I start taking instead of serving. Uh, second, recognize the unique power of substances and sexuality. Look at verse 19. He says, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Look at verse 21. He talks about drunkenness and orgies. And here's what we know. All sin is sin. All sin separates us from God. But not all sin, not all sin bears the same weight on our souls. Not all sin is overcome so easily. And so there is this warning that the Apostle Paul gives to the Corinthian church. And he basically says, all other sin is outside of the body, but there's something about sexual sin that is against your own body. It has this unique dynamic impact. We see this with substances, things that you do that take into your body, they actually begin to transform you and reorient your mind. And, and many of you um, know people who have been addicted to drugs in serious ways. Many of you have been, and you know how it is so challenging and difficult. There are some things that when we engage in them, they are significantly more impactful to our souls and much harder to overcome. 
recognize the unique power of these things. And what culture has been doing is, is telling us these are not that powerful. These are not that big of a deal. And what we find is person after person, especially young person after young person, who was lied to by culture and can't get out of the trap. And our heart is just to help you experience the freedom the freedom from the tyranny of sin so that you can be set free from obsessing over these things and you can be set free to love and to serve the people in your life. Our heart just wants to see you free. Uh, Third, I want you to recognize that the flesh craves religion. It craves it. Look Look at verse 20. Idolatry and sorcery. Why? Why all throughout the Bible is there this impulse for the people of God to go to idolatry and sorcery? And the answer is simple. Because religion gives you control. Uh, religion, to a degree, is easy. God, if I do this, then you're obligated to do this. Religion is purely transactional. Whereas our relationship with God is supposed to be primarily relational. But a relationship with God is a scary thing. Relationships hurt. Relationships are hard. Relationships are work. We all know this. Transactions are easy. A business relationship, that's easy. You do this, I do this. I do this, you do this. And we love control. There's something about the flesh that resists the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and loves to go back to works righteousness because it puts control back on us. Know with clarity when you are not in the spirit, observe your relationships, observe the power of substances and sexuality, and observe the, the draw and the lure of religion in your life. Now, as we go through the fruit of the Spirit in this series, we're going to start to unpack a whole bunch of these, and we're building some of the categories for you right now. So what number two? Know you're sure. S-H-O-R-E. All right, I want, to, I want to ask you to participate with me for a moment. I'm going to give you two simple quizzes. And here's what I want you to do. The first quiz on your right hand, and you may want to be subtle with this, okay? You might want to do this in your brain. But I'm going to ask you five questions. And for the first quiz, I want you to figure out how many questions you answer yes to. And I want you to keep in mind that first quiz. How many times did you say yes of the five questions? Then I'm going to give you a second quiz, and I want you to do the same thing, but this time do this with your left hand or the left side of your brain if you don't want anybody to see how you're answering these very vulnerable questions. And I want you to figure out how many times you say yes to the second quiz. And then I want you to figure out which quiz had more yeses. And for most people, there will be some outliers, some of you who refuse to ever play the game. I get that. But for most people, you're going to find one side has a lot more yeses than the other. Ready? Quiz number one. This is the right side of your hand. Five questions, yes or no. Here we go. Have you been drunk in the past year? Number two, did you participate in any sexual activity with others you are certain is out of God's will? Number three, do you often break laws, big or small, with zero or very little regret? Number four, do you have close friends who love rules and guidelines? Think about that. 
Number five, does your conscience speak up loudly when you are about to cross the line and sin? Now, most of you probably did that in your head, and I understand why. Here's quiz number two. Do you often judge or criticize others in your heart for their decisions? Is following the rules a pretty big deal to you? Do you sometimes judge people's salvation by their behavior? Do you have many friends who have a cavalier attitude toward rules? Now here, I want you to process this question. This is very important. Does your conscience not permit you to do things Jesus did? Okay, two quizzes. Do you have it in your brain? Which, which quiz, one or two, had more yeses? I want to tell you, uh, get, share with you a, an analogy, and then we'll help you understand what these quizzes mean. Walking with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, following the Spirit, uh, is sort of like a river. And if you're in the river, you are in the Spirit. You're being led by the Spirit. Now, sometimes you're in the river and you try to go against the current. We're battling with the Spirit. But even when you're battling with the Spirit, you're still in the river. Now, every river has two shores. Uh, On one shore is the shore of legalism. This is the second quiz. The other shore is the shore of license or licentiousness. And this was the first quiz. And we find is that almost every person likes to swim on one side of the river versus the other. Have you noticed that? And that the people we surround ourselves with also like to swim on the same side of the river as we do. And what's interesting, though, is, is that whether you're on the legalism side of the river or the licentious side of the river, the license side, if you're in the river, are you in the river? You're in the river. And some people like to swim closer to shore than others, do they not? But here's when you're in the flesh. You're in the flesh when you get out of the river and go to the shore. And there are, there are different temptations to sin on the legalism side than there are on the licentiousness side, on the license side. And I think what's really important is for each one of us to know our shore. To know that, you know what, when I sin, when I struggle, it's probably going to be over here and not over here. The legalism side, often it really does tend to look more like religion because religion loves rules and control and different things of the sorts and loves security and all this kind of stuff. And really when you're on the other side of the shore, when you're on the licensed side of the shore, it looks like worldliness. But here's what I know about both shores. Both shores break the heart of Jesus. And so whether or not you lean one side or you lean the other side, and it's very interesting because people who lean towards the licensed side, they're like, oh, those people, they're so, they're so judgy, they're so whatever. And, and then the people who are on the legalism side, they look over to the licentiousness side, and they're like, oh, they're just so, they're just so worldly, they're just so like the world, I could never, like, they're sinning. You know, like, and it's interesting because there is this judgmentalism happening. And what's funny to me is that you can swim on one side of the river as long as you're in the river. And you can swim on the other side of the river as long as you're in the river. You're free to go back and forth and swim on both sides as long as you're in the river. But recognize, you will likely get out of the river on one side or the other. And that will often determine what it means for you, what it looks like for you, the indicators for you of when you're in the flesh. 
And when you find yourself in the flesh, the greatest place to do, to jump back into is in the river because the spirit is always welcoming you, always offering to transform you more and more into the image of Jesus. And if you are a believer and you find yourself on either side of the shore, here's what you can know. The blood of Christ has covered you and you are welcomed immediately to jump back into the river, into the spirit. So what is your shore? What is your shore? Because some of you are looking at this and you're a legalist and you're like, I would never, I would never um, uh, do things like um, anger and yelling at people or sexual immorality or sensuality. Like I would never do those things. My rules don't permit me. But there are other things in this list that actually very well may be your sin issues. And so what happens is people look at this list and because they don't relate to half of it, they disregard the whole thing. But no, you're sure. And it's so important to know this because when you're there, this is the place of death. And the place of life is in the spirit and in the river. And so here's what we're going to do this semester. I'm going to, we're going to go through these things. We're going to challenge you. We're going to challenge ourselves. And we want to make sure that as we walk into one of the craziest seasons our nation has ever encountered, that we are in the river no matter who we're interacting with. That for the sake of our bodies, our souls, our relationships, and the world that we are going to be a people, diverse as we might be, who stay in the river according to the fruit of the Spirit, and that we are a community that brings life to those we encounter. Now, this time we're going to celebrate communion. And communion is this wonderful reminder that God has given us salvation in Jesus. Whether you have been on the shore of legalism or you have been on the shore of license, the blood of Christ is offered for you, for your forgiveness, for your redemption, for your transformation. And so what we do in communion is we take this moment, we pause, and we remember that whatever shore we're on, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness and adoption. I want to go bigger here. Freedom. Freedom from the tyranny of sin so that we can love God and love other people. So some of you are new with us and you don't know how we do communion. Um, if you're at a home location, your host will hand you a prepackaged uh, elements. And in just a little while, we'll partake of all of those together. Um, some of you, you have never trusted in Christ. You've never partaken of communion. You're wondering, should I even take communion at this time? What are the church's rules on this? And it's really simple the way we do communion. It does not matter what church you go to. What we care about is whether or not you have personally trusted in Jesus as your God and Savior. If you have trusted in Christ and you have confessed your sin and believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if you've made a decision to ask him to forgive you and to save you, we don't care where you go to church. If you have trusted in Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we want to remember what Jesus did in our behalf together in this place at this time. Maybe today you have never trusted in Christ, and you just have the sense that God is asking you to trust him. Uh, you're maybe sensing for the first time that, that he loves you. Maybe you know you've been putting this off for some time and maybe today you're just asking God to save you for the first time. And if that's a decision that you want to make, um, I want to encourage you, would you actually take this, these elements and would you partake of communion with us? And as you partake of communion, let this action be a declaration that you believe in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus in your place, in your behalf. Let it be a confession to God that you believe that you were a sinner 
who needed the shed blood of Jesus shed for you on your behalf. And if that's a decision you want to make today, uh, we'd love to encourage you. We'd love to follow up with you. Would you let us know that you have made that decision so we can come alongside of you and help you take your next steps? So this time we're going to do is have just a minute of silence, of reflection, an opportunity to talk to God, confess to God, and to thank God. And then after that, we're going to partake together of the elements. Let's talk to God in silence.